Welcome back, everybody. I am here pretty early in the morning because it's quiet. Hans Hansen here. I'm a uh, board-certified pain addiction specialist, a medical doctor, and I've done this a long time. I've spoke on these topics a long time, and I am tackling what is the most common problems we see in our practice. That's pain, addiction, and depression. With depression, we see situational depression, anxiety. We see PTSD. We see difficulty with sleep, restorative uh, capacity towards endurance and quality of life. And with addiction, I... I think it's a struggle that is uh, contemporary, and it's forward-thinking to address that as part of what we are. Uh, We are human beings. We have a brain. The brain is not just something that sits there. It's alive. It's malleable. Uh, It can change. It has uh, circuits and pathways that mean something that change. You're going to hear a lot of that, and I, I've i heard everything on these um, pathways, as we'll quote-unquote those, and the neurotransmitters like dopamine, norepinephrine, epinephrine, and hormones, progesterone, testosterone, estrogen, you name it. I, I can tell you that we learned a little bit about hormones and the like in med school, but it's one of those things that changes and rechanges and keeps changing and we got to revisit it so what are we doing well what we're doing is um going on to pain addiction and depression as uh the introduction led us into this uh now pain and we see it here paininformation.com that's us is is a good place to start kind of like muddling through the complexity of what pain is. But as you go further into pain, the science of pain, the evidence of pain, what works, what doesn't work, you're going to see that uh, pain happens acutely and uh, and chronic pain um, is not what people talk about. It I'll go through those definitions again, but acute pain happens chronically and chronic pain happens acutely. Fact of the matter is pain, addiction, and depression are really the same thing. So I'm going to focus on those three entities neurobiologically or through the neuroscience until we really understand uh, from, you know, the... I guess the depths and the darkness of science, which is sometimes a black and gray cloud, you can sometimes wear a gray hat and a black hat, meaning, you know, treatments can be a little wild west. And we have to take what we have with pain, addiction, and depression as the most valuable thing we have as a patient's self-report or the individual self-report. Not everybody's a patient, you know. It's a family member. It's somebody in your life. It's somebody important to you. And as as I mentioned with addiction in the um, PDF, which you can download, is 
Addiction is widespread. It's not just drugs and alcohol. It's also gambling, sex, tech, work, exercise. I mean, whatever grips you. But the fact of the matter is it's out there. And the inner connections between the depression that goes with pain and addiction, the pain that sometimes goes with depression and sometimes leads to addiction has to be clearly defined because not all addiction is what you think it is. And that's the thing. Not everything you think is what you think it is. Um, you know, I I think that risk management, which is the process of controlling loss, comes down to the fact that it's it's not just a bunch of us running around as healthcare providers of the fifteen minute visit. It's what happens when you walk out of the room, walk out of the door. It's the family, it's a support, it's a socialization, it's everything. It's multifactorial. We have to look at the risk medications, our home environment, our work environment, so many stressors in our life. How does that play into us and the science of pain that can lead to chronic pain, that can lead to situational depression, anxiety, that can lead to the scourge of these feelings that helpless hopelessness exists? God help us all if we start feeling like I can't go on. Right? Okay. So that's my specialty is I'm addiction, I am pain, and I have multiple boards, uh, that sort of thing. I get a little tired of talking about the curriculum vitae or, you know, my credentials. Someday I'm just going to put them up, (laughs) take a look. The point is... um, I've been around for about 30 years. I've seen this stuff. I've seen the good side, the bad side. And thank God it's more good than bad. We can make progress and help you. So let's start. Science of pain. Chronic pain. Acute pain happens chronically. Chronic pain happens acutely. Acute pain, by definition, is self-limited. That's not true. Um, People say, oh, it's less than three months. Oh, it's less than six weeks. It has a biological function. It alerts you. It tells you when you're resting and you got to pull back and you got to heal. And it's a it's a function and a response to something that some structure that's been injured or some psychological trauma or autonomic response or automatic response like. And those responses can be secondary. It's like, uh, you know, I hurt. Ouch. Pain, uh, pain to the brain, and I'm thinking about it. I don't want to touch that hot oven again. That's voidance. Okay, now chronic pain. Pain itself is a disease, right? Not necessarily. It persists beyond the usual course of acute disease. I agree there. It does go beyond acute disease, but, you know, it can go away. So let's just say you have a non-union of a clavicle. This is my example, like, I know it because I had it. <laughs> uh, you know, I would sit there and I didn't hurt, but it hurt and it hurt a long time. Um, skiing injury, but it, well, it was, it's a long story. It's a story for another day, by the way. But every time I moved it real abruptly, it hurt like, well, 
it was acute pain. And I mean, it could bring tears to my eyes. Um, so the acute pain was chronic because it was fine. It just sat there. I heard it was a dull, aching, throbbing type pain, which is chronic pain. And when I moved it around, it was sharp, electric. That's the descriptors of acute pain. And don't think those words don't matter. Now, the anatomy is this. So, ouch, something happens. A peripheral nociceptor, a nociceptor is normal if it hurts. That's a like a pain fiber, that's a process, a nociception of pain. Goes to the spine, goes to the spinal cord called the dorsal root ganglion, up the spinal cord, it tends to cross the spinal cord, it's called contralateral or ipsilateral, same side, um, medical terms, forget them if you want to, um, and it goes up the spinal thalamic tract, which is a tract, now here we go, we're starting to get in pathways, right, it goes to the brain and the limbic system, what, what's the limbic system, well the limbic system is a personality of pain, it's in the midbrain, thalamus, uh, parts of the medulla, it just goes through those ascending or upward moving pathways and somebody's got to have a brake pedal right so there's descending or declining or going down type uh, pathways that say whoa 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 i'm your brake pedal and they go down to the a part of the spinal cord that's important that modulates pain and says slow down slow down slow down uh it tries to interfere with it so okay let's recap that primary afferent nociceptors or those nerves or whatever they go to kind of the nerve body which is the dorsal root ganglion topic for another day but that's where kind of uh the nerve loves to live um (laughs) somewhere around there is your um Chickenpox virus, eventual shingles um, someday. If it happens, it happens. Uh, and then from the dorsal ganglion, it goes to the back part of the spine or the spinal cord called the rex, R-E-X-E-D, lamina, L-A-M, uh, lamina, whatever, uh, A-E is lamina, A. It's not... Um, what you'd consider common spelling because it's you know this is all uh, latin and it's all um the tough stuff you got to learn in med school if it wasn't hard enough and it goes through different um i'll call them categories but they're different um lamina or um different layers that's what that means um and it's rexed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And each one does different things before it says go to the other side or go up and take the spinal thalamic tract to the limbic system with the personality of pain that tells us what our pain is and how it affects us um, with our feelings and uh, other neurobiological functions, and then it goes up to the prefrontal cortex. Eventually, it goes up to the brain, where it's interpreted. Geez, uh, that hurts. Um, and I don't want to do that again. And then um, the down track, the one trying to slow it down at that rex lamina, R-E-X-E-D, 
rex to lamina, is the dorsal uh, lateral funiculus or the descending modulation. A lot of big words there, right? It's not really that important. The point is, there's an uptrack and a downtrack. The uptrack goes to the personality of pain called the limbic system. And that's why pain is such an individual response. Okay, so there's this process of hyperalgesia. Oh, gosh, go to Dr. Google. You, you see hyperalgesia. What's that? Where do opioids work? It, what? What? So it goes to the Rex lamina. And it does its monkey business there, and it wants to go up to the brain or the limbic system or something like that. It does something called a synapse, um, and there are two fibers that matter. Two um, of those pathway generators, those interpretation nerve fibers called A, delta, and C. A, delta means there's an alpha, beta, la, 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 la. Um, but A delta is fast electric pain, sharp. Uh, it's the type of pain, you see in acute pain, you put your hand on that hot plate, oh, pull it away, you stub your toe, ah, wah, 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 wah. but then when it starts throbbing, that's a C fiber nociceptor. Remember, a nociceptor is normal. A nociceptor is normal if it hurts. That's a pain fiber. Nociception. The C fiber goes to the synapse. It can be in the uh, posterior lamina uh, in the spinal cord, and it can be called presynaptic. In other words, it's before it synapses or causes a change at the cell. And at the cell, there's all sorts of these processes that go on to elaborate to what's called a second-order neuron or the second nerve that's going to say, let's go, let's go upstairs. Um, and that can involve uh, these other types of uh, inflammatory mediators that you didn't really hear of very often in Dr. Google. That's nitric oxide, prostanoids, or prostaglandins. Let me tell you something. You give prostaglandins to a rat and you inject them in the spinal cord, prostaglandins are so algesic algesic means it hurts or it's so irritating causes so much inflammation this is a process of inflammation uh mr generic term uh watch infomercials i'll tell you everything um that it'll kill rat if you inject uh prostaglandins in there those are prostanoids that's why NSAIDs work so well in the central nervous system they work peripherally at the site of injury peripheral means on the outside there's outside in and inside out okay two words to remember outside in inside out and that pain soup um includes other processes and other chemicals like substance P or these nitric oxide, prostanoids, or whatever at the second order neuron that says to the second nerve channel, it's going to take it upstairs, um, yo, and it sensitizes the central nervous system. If this just keeps happening, then you have this hyperalgesic state. That's a word, hyperalgesia. These words are going to come back to you. Don't worry about it if you, if you don't get them right now. You'll get them eventually. Um, it'll come back to you. And this hyperalgesia means that the second-order neuron or these other nerves that take it upstairs in those pathways 
are sensitized. In other words, a little goes a long way. One plus one equals three. So you hit the nerve, and we've all felt it. <laughs> what didn't hurt hurts a lot. And hyperalgesia is often confused with allodynia. All these terms I'll get into uh, other podcasts and later, but I'm going to talk about a few things. So let's take it from the science of pain about everything I just gabbed on about to pain, addiction, and depression. Well, is it pain or addiction, or is it depression? Well, what is it? So if you stand outside of a Starbucks, I've talked about this analogy so many times because I was in Orlando once, and I could not understand why the line is longer to this one room at this hotel than I've seen lines that are longer at methadone clinics. It was a Starbucks. Yes, you can get addicted to caffeine. Yes, you can be habituated to caffeine, whereas if you don't get it, you start feeling a little kinky, get headaches, etc. So, I mean, you're a logical person. We're all pretty much logical, but when we think outside of logic, when we act on emotion, it's our personality pain. It's driven by the limbic system. That's emotion, not logic. So what's happening? Well, the brain is kind of, quote, hijacked unquote period so we got to tame this dragon i'm going to call it uh i'm going to call chronic pain a dragon and this is what the rat tells us okay so if we took if we took a rat and we cut the brain the primitive part of the brain in the rat it's really similar to humans believe it or not that's why we study it all right we're going to look at a few things now is this important well it is but you don't have to know it I mean, this is not something you're going to recite at a, at a party, hopefully not a cocktail party, but just somewhere um, on the bus or the subway or whatever. It was saying that all the ventral tegmental area and the nucleus accumbens, and the uh, nucleus accumbens goes up to the prefrontal cortex where you interpret things. Prefrontal cortex is that part of the brain that, you know, I'm going to call it a thinking or interpretation part. That's a part that doesn't really get developed well in uh, youth until you're about uh, 20, 25, even 20, 30. I guess that's why the military <laughs> has certain age groups. You know, they tend to act on emotion uh, over logic sometimes. But the reality is the ventral tegmental area is affected by opioids, ethanol, barbiturates, benzodiazepines. That's like Valium-like drugs, Xanax and like nicotine and cannabinoids. Um, cannabinoids, the good or the bad or the ugly. <clears throat> that's THC if you want to know. It's connected to the nucleus accumbens that's affected by Cocaine, amphetamine, cannabinoids, <clears throat> you know, you buy them in a gas station, or cannabinoids, THC, marijuana, fencyclidine, PCP, ketamine. Hey, ketamine, we had a lot to talk about there. To the prefrontal cortex. Between that is a dopamine pathway in that primitive part of the brain, your brain behind your ear. That is dopamine dependent. Well, I have a stake. I get a little bump in the dopamine. Ooh, it's been a good Saturday night. A little bit of sex, a little more dopamine. Um, opioids, a little more dopamine. Cocaine, it's off the charts. 
Uh, cocaine tells your brain uh, so many things. In fact, um, the trigger for cocaine can be one thirty thousandth of a second. What's a trigger? I see it. Bingo. My brain is turned on. It's like a switch. Um, <clears throat> cocaine and certain um, stimulants, psychostimulants, are highly uh, addictive because of this. Uh, addictive. I said addiction. Um, we're not going to talk about habituation yet, okay? All right, there's also... Other parts of the brain that eventually things we'll talk about, like uh, the <clears throat> uh, stimulation centers where we used to put uh, probes in rat brains, stimulate it, and the rat would press on a bar, <laughs> and depending on what it was getting, it would press until it died in the case of cocaine. Morphine, not so much, about 100 times. Um, Boring things like caffeine one or two times and quit. So, I mean, we'll talk about all these things. Um, there's the locus ceruleus. Um, that's important for pain. We'll eventually get to that. I mentioned it to be complete because that's where cocaine really gets a bump with norepinephrine. That's what cocaine does is it stimulates norepinephrine, one of those neurotransmitters, and eventually dopamine and the like. Locus ceruleus, um, somebody really high on cocaine, you can hit them in the face, and they don't hurt. Uh, they've got that thing in overdrive. And what it's doing is it's taking a neuron. Neurons are what's in your brain. They're, they're cells. Neurons are cells in the brain. And through dendritic formation or little filaments or little fingers, they uh, connect to other neurons in the brain that are really important to carry on the word. The word is um, a communication pathway. Now we're talking pathways. Yep. And people that are sick, and I'm, I'm not just talking about addiction or pain or depression, but diabetes, obesity, uh, you know, sedentary lifestyle and that sort of thing. The brain gets kind of sick. Those neurons get less vibrant. They have less communication with each other. Those neurofilaments, those um, connections between the nerves, they start diminishing. And it's called a sick neuron. So all these things are a precursor to mood disorders. So what does that mean? Well, stress decreases certain important chemicals and mediators in the brain, stress and depression, uh, increased glucocorticoids or uh, sugar or um, uh, these hormonal elements. I talked about hormones, right? Here's another one for you, <clears throat> which regulate activity in the brain. And we're going to call it synaptic. That's where the nerves talk to each other, through these filaments, through these synapses uh, that are also uh, important. Okay, what's what's this? Brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF? Oh, God. It's a neurotrophin. It's a family of nerve growth factor, and it supports uh, neuron survival. 
and all these synapses. If you don't have BDNF, as we've uh, cultured rat brains before, uh, the rat brain will get so sick it will die. And what do we say about uh, the rat brain? Well, the rat brain is pretty clear because um, we can actually take the rat brain and take it further to uh, our own brain. So we do know from functional magnetic resonance imaging, fMRI, that stress, depression, addiction, the properties predict pain and emotional chronification. Chronification means chronic. Ooh, back to chronic, back to acute. And this BDNF plays something in there. BDNF is absolutely key to playing with hormones, regulating activity, particularly at the hippocampus, a part of the brain. It's not important now, but some parts of the brain brain are pretty vibrant and they can change pretty fast. So there can be increased pain, changes in how you think or cognition, that foggy feeling. Um, How about in dementia, there's changes, amyloid, that's Alzheimer's, obesity, epilepsy. It can cause memory disturbances and changes in the wellness of the brain that you can actually measure. So these steroids and hormones, they suppress certain parts of the brain and they suppress something called neurogenesis. Okay, is that important? It is. And we're going to get into that more. Um, We're going to get into uh, synaptogenesis and why it's so critically important to the health of the brain. We're going to talk about chronification. Uh, Apicarian is a uh, doctor, a PhD, who used a structural versus functional MRI, the normal MRI, Uh, the um, functional MRI looked at the actual brain tissue itself. The structural MRI just looked at the structures in the brain. I mean, typical MRI you have in a hospital. Functional MRIs are pretty specialized training centers and specific hospitals. And looked at chronic pain and looked at uh, how it's intimately linked to brain addiction circuitry. It is. So acute pain happens chronically and chronic pain happens acutely. So addiction properties and pain properties predict chronification or chronic illness. So brain is different in patients with chronic pain, addiction, and depression. You can have a 90% plus, it's closer to 97, 98% prediction, according to this doctor, and it's been reproduced. Um, whether patients will have chronic pain one year later. What they looked at is 500 patients that got a back injury, 500 patients that got a back injury. So that's a pretty good sample size. We call it N for number. And there were, in those patient populations, people you could tell at the time of injury who would have pain one year later. Because chronic pain... And addiction and emotional issues um, activate limbic circuitry, that part of the brain, the emotional part of the brain, 
um, pathways in the brain, dopamine pathways, nucleus accumbens, ventral tegmental area, and it actually influences acute pain as well. Whoa. Let's talk about runner's high then. Okay. What's the mother of all addictive things? That's dopamine, of course, right? Dopamine is on that reward pathway between ventral tegmental area and the nucleus accumbens that goes to the prefrontal cortex. Dopamine is on that highway. It's the mother of all addictive things. You get a bunch of dopamine, you know that little bump of cocaine or morphine or, well, opioid. I'll just say opioid generally. Or um, so many other things uh, that we've talked about that get that dopamine bump to whatever level it is, it leads to stimulation of the nucleus accumbens and the ventral tegmental area and that highway back and forth. It's it's a connection. Preconal cortex, uh, the brain structure technically, if you want to go through this, this is more for our uh, geeky friends, it's uh, striatum, substantia nigra, ventral tegmental area, and corpus callosum. Forget all those. <laughs> but the mother of all addictive things, it goes from the VTA to the nucleus accumbens, prefrontal cortex, that dopamine. Okay, runner's high. Well, I'd love to run. feel good. I was a runner. Um, I, I was athlete skiing and all that stuff. We'll talk about that later. Point being is, gosh, you get out, you get that exercise, you're feeling great, right? It's all those encephalins, dynorphins, um, uh, endorphins. It's all those. It's the body's opioid system. It's a natural opioid system. It's sitting there. It's making me feel good. Well, if I gave you Narcan, which reverses that, it doesn't change it. Right? As far as I know, it doesn't change it. But what's happening? Brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Uh, BDNF is elevating. So runner's high probably is influenced far more so by this thing called BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, that contributes to brain health, brain growth, uh, communication between neurons, and so many other things. So you heard it here first. Uh, Runner's high may have nothing to do with endogenous opioids, endorphin, and keflin, endorphins, and the like. It may have nothing to do with it. I'm going to round this out, and I'll talk more about this in, uh, in just a minute. Terminology. Okay, I want to talk about terminology because people tend to mix these up. It's really important for situational depression, anxiety, depression, um, all those addictive issues and pain in general. Okay, let let me just go through it quickly and I'm going to come back to it because the concept of tolerance, which is a natural state of adaptation to a drug. It it does cause changes, but it's not addiction. It varies amongst individuals. And it changes how how much analgesia you need. In other words, the concept of tolerance, and, you know, say a shout-out to uh, Webster, who was an MD that 
had a lot to say about this. Um, it changes how much drug you need to get the same effect, simply put. All right, abuse. It's use of medication for purposes other than which it was prescribed. That's abuse. Okay? Addiction. Impaired control over drug use. This is one definition. It's not really any you take home uh, every day, but it's an important one. Is compulsive use of drug and continued use despite harm and because of craving. Okay, I'm reading that, obviously. Um, that's what addiction is. I, I tend to lean on that, but addiction is usually more. It's, it, it's associated with... Uh, Dismissive activity, like it's not me, I'm going to use this anyway. Listen, i got a desire to use it, I'm craving, it's emotional, or it's a lack of emotion, a flat affect. Isolation, poor sleep, that sort of thing. I mean, you know, it's most common with THC. People don't think marijuana is addictive. Oh, yes, it is. Um, Opioids, uh, it's... You know, cocaine, of course, and nicotine. I mean, we could go on and on. Tolerance. A physiologic state caused by regular use. So you're using this stuff regularly of an opioid or substance. It doesn't matter what it is. So your increases doses to get what you need. Um, physical dependence is um, really important because this is where people get the terminology mixed up with addiction dependence is not addiction by itself it's a normal physiologic state it's expected and when you use a certain agent or you're around certain things that would cause your addictive behaviors um, it's character, characterized by withdrawal, too. You, you take it away, you start feeling a craving, you start feeling crappy, and it's variable by the individual. And it varies when it comes on. It could be with some of the folks in A, they'll tell you, Alcoholics Anonymous, they'll tell you they've been sober for 10 years, and all of a sudden they break down. So, I mean, it can happen any time. And it sometimes coincides with addiction, sometimes not. It is not addiction by itself, physical dependence. And then there's tolerance. So tolerance, we talked about sensitization of the cell in the cellular environment. And tolerance and dependence are huge there. I'm going to leave you with just a uh, quick little um, important um, statement from Agatha Christie, I think, pretty much sums up life. An archaeologist is the best husband any woman can ever have. The older she gets, the more interested he is in her. Thank you, Agatha Christie. Okay, that's uh, that's a lot of stuff, but, I mean, that's a lot of science. And pain, addiction, and depression needs that science kind of laid out on the table and nibbled in little uh, little bites, you know. How do you eat an elephant with a spoon? A little bit at a time. Take it slow. Um, I'm going to be into the website uh, community and uh, courses and the like. Uh, and I've got some YouTubes that we're going to post some of them. I did them a year ago. Um, broke up my arm with the dogs. Um, so I didn't do it. It's hard to set the YouTube stuff up. <laughs> Not. Um, but um, 
I'll be doing a lot more of them. It's fun to look at some YouTube to get a little bit of, uh, better impression of what pain is and the like. So take a look at those. Uh, kick those around. Uh, we'll have more on managing pain before it manages you. Managing addiction and managing depression. Is it depression? Is it pain? Is it uh, <laughs> this whole thing with addiction? And we're going to learn all about that. It's a fentanyl era. I've talked a lot about fentanyl in a, um, a podcast. I, I need to do that. So this is the world according to me, Watme, W-A-T-M-E. You can go to, I have a website. I did that uh, a long time ago, but I did podcasts on it. You had to listen to Lone Ranger sometime. I did that for fun. Uh, I'll get Watme up and going, the world according to me. It's uh, a little more soulful. So do not excel at mediocrity. Uh, and get out there, enjoy life. People around you have their challenges. Um, you know, just you'd be surprised who is who. And, you know, remember, an expert is a man that's made all the mistakes possible in a narrow field of ex- experience. Uh, Einstein said that. And we all do that. We just want to make you happy. We just want the best possible outcome. This is an informational channel. Talk it over with any healthcare provider. This is not medical advice. And um, I want uh, folks to feel um, engaged. And please, uh, uh, let's, let's go more. And don't hesitate uh, looking around uh, and seeing what's out there. But be careful what you read. Let's make it right. All right. Thank you.